0: Luke chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 31. I'm going to speak to you on this subject, the exorcist. And we're going to look at some very interesting things from the Bible that deal with the supernatural. But before that, uh, I would like to uh, say thank you to all of those who prayed for me this past week. I was in class um, all of this past week and uh, just to, to, to tell you what, what we actually do, this class was... Now I'm not going to teach the whole class to you, alright? So don't get too nervous. You see this huge stack of books here. We had to, had to go through this. But I, want, I just want to take a moment to tell you um, how serious something like this. The class was called Issues uh, in Revelation. Not Revelation, the book in the Bible. But the whole question of, um, can God actually speak to us through the Bible? Is the Bible God's word? And if so, how much? And in what sense is the Bible God's word? Because it was written by humans. And here's, just want to give you a little, I've, I've never been more confirmed in my faith, intellectually, in my heart, that the Bible is the word of God, that Jesus is the son of God, and that whosoever believes on the name and calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um, one of the books here is called Models of Revelation. Yeah, that's what I thought too, right? You guys like this retro cover, you know, back in the 70s. It's is from Avery Dulles, a Roman Catholic scholar, who basically takes the position uh, that the Bible is the Word of God, but church tradition is also the Word of God. And there may be, uh, in some cultures, the Word of God. So that kind of takes uh, removes a little bit of our force from saying that the Bible is actually the Word of God. Um, here's another one, actually, too, by a... Uh, by a scholar named Carl Barth. It looks like Barth, but it's, it's pronounced Bart, and he's a neo-Orthodox guy. That sounds encouraging, doesn't it? See, what in the world is that? Well, in the eighteen nineteen hundreds, 1900s uh, there was a big move to say that Jesus was sometimes not even a historical person, or if he actually did live, he didn't actually rise from the dead, but it was a spiritual rev- resurrection hmm, what could be some problems with that, folks, if Jesus didn't actually physically rise from the dead? It was a, quote, spiritual revelation, uh, uh, resurrection. Well, one problem would be that if what happened to Jesus is what's going to happen to us, and there's not really going to be any heaven, right? Because there's no actual, real resurrection of the dead by which God gives us new bodies. So what he tried to do is say that the Bible is the word of God, but it becomes the word of God when you read it. So it's not actually in one sense, the word of God. So he tried to, to rescue Christianity from those who would say that the Bible is totally false. And then we've got a guy with the name of Nicholas Wolterstorff. Y'all are loving this, aren't you? If y'all could see from right here, this is very enjoyable. Y'all like, this is the most boring sermon introduction of my life. I'm just letting you know how I felt my whole week. All right. So you guys are getting this tougher with me a little bit. It's called uh, I'm going to read this to you. This is great. Divine discourse, philosophical reflections on the claim that God speaks. From Cambridge University Press. All right. So what what he did is he he basically had um, the thing of saying, can we actually understand uh, if God speaks? And then we have Kevin Van Hooser. Is there meaning in this text? You ever heard anybody say that the Bible has different meanings for different people? Mm, how could that be scary? Anybody could use the Bible to justify whatever they want to do. The Bible always has the central meaning, but the application, right, is different to every person. And then we come to a British scholar. He said the Bible's inspired, but it's not totally without error. Meaning God gave it through the ones who wrote it, but when they wrote it, sometimes because they were human, whoops-a-daisy, and then some error slipped into the Bible, And then this book, Has God Said, is very, very good. And I'll tell you what, after reading all of this stuff for the past month or so, I felt like I was just walking through a desert. Have you ever been that way in school? Had to read some dry philosopher or theologian who wasn't really a theologian, who wanted to use their job as a philosopher or theologian to tell you how Jesus is not real and the Bible is not true? Well, this week the professor gave us, a, I guess you could call it an extra assignment, and it was an old essay by a na- guy named B.B. Warfield. How would you like to be named B.B.? My name's B.B., and here's my brother Pellet. Can we go shoot some air guns, right? B.B. Warfield. Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, right? You've got to be either the general or, or something like that with a name with B.B. Warfield. But we read two articles, and one was the biblical idea of inspiration and the biblical idea of revelation. And it was absolutely incredible to read something to where a scholar sits back and says, here's what the Bible says. Here's the reasons why you can believe it, and here's what will happen in your life if you trust in it. And I just want to tell you, it was absolutely incredible. So the only reason why I bring these books up is because in our culture, there's always going to be people with questions. And I just want to give you my story that I have never been in my life more convinced that when you pick up the Bible, you are holding the Word of God. And furthermore, when you read it and the Holy Spirit takes that text and just plugs it into your heart, it is absolutely true. And I praise God for His miraculous intervention and in through all of the years keeping His Word pure. The Bible says, I believe it's in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 and 6, that the Word of God is pure. It is like a shield. I just want to tell you that. Y'all okay? Anybody snoozing yet? Alright, let's jump into the text. I want to do that. Actually, would it make you feel better if I put these out of the way? I think it would. Alright? That reminds some of you of school and that's bad memory. So let's jump into Luke chapter 4 in verse 31. And we're going to look at three divisions here today. Three things that Jesus does. The th- Three things that Jesus did to demonstrate that He was the Son of God. And that is that Jesus delivers and has power over demons, disease, And territorialism, me and my mindset. And notice the way that it begins here in verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. Now, does somebody remember what happened the last time Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, taught in a synagogue on the Sabbath? How did that turn out? People, drag, you know, they're taking him to throw him off a cliff. Now, that's one thing I love about Jesus. I love about his apostles. When Paul was stoned to death almost at Lystra, they thought that he was dead, so they just drug him outside the the city and left him. That'd have to be pretty banged up, wouldn't you say, for people to be like, no, if we've hit him enough with rocks, he's dead. Don't hit him anymore. Then somehow God supernaturally resuscitated Paul And where did he go? Back to the city. That's not what we think of today. We think run. He went back. Jesus didn't run away from the synagogues. He went back. He went to another one. And notice what happened here when he spoke in verse 32. And they were astonished at his teaching. I mean, people are absolutely overwhelmed. Why? For his word possessed authority. This this town, Capernaum, um, was uh, fairly close to to Nazareth. It was on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. This would have been kind of like lakefront property. And it's about to get very interesting in the story. Before we jump in with both feet, I typed into Google, otherwise known as the Google. The search, the word, quote, exorcism. And guess how many hits Google brought back? Over 11,500,000 results. Exorcism. Jesus is about to do something that leaves people's jaws literally dragging on the ground. He pulls off a genuine exorcism. Look what happens here in the text. In verse 33, And in the synagogue... There was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. You're like, well, why did Luke put unclean demon? I thought all demons are bad, right? There are no good demons. Well, in the Greek culture, they actually thought that there were some demons that were good. And Luke is like, demon, bad. Just so you get it, unclean demon. Alright, we all tracking with that? Demons, bad. Some of you, are we all on the same page, right? Demons, bad. Amen? Amen? Okay. All right. Somebody goes like, "I don't know." All right. Seriously. Yeah. Demons are bad. So, so Luke is making it very clear, Jews, Gentile readers, demons. You don't want them. Okay. Now, notice what happens. And he cried out with a loud voice. Um, in the Greek New Testament, this loud voice would be expressive of people who oh, probably thought they were going to die, or they were very, very angry. When somebody's very, very angry and they yell. Can't you tell from the tone of their voice that they're angry? Even outside of the volume. And then in the Greek New Testament, this word, I I have in in my English Standard Version in verse 34, the word ha. It's E-A in the Greek. The guy is in the synagogue. He's demon-possessed. Jesus gives this incredible message People are blown away by the power. And then all of a sudden, the demon through the vocal cords of this man screams out, Aha! Let's try to put ourselves back there. Wouldn't that scare you just a little bit? Jesus is, is giving this message and all of a sudden, a demon-possessed man literally screams at the top of his lungs. And what does he say? He says, What have you to do with... Notice... Us! This demon is almost, in a sense, a representative of the demonic forces that had people captive. What will you, Jesus, do with us? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Let's back up just one step. Notice that the people said that the Word of Jesus possessed authority. That He did not teach like the scribes. You know what most people would have heard if they went to a synagogue in that day, they would have heard teachers most of the time quoting other teachers. The thing that was different about Jesus is His messages were based upon the Word of God. You remember the, the, the difference like if you've ever been to a, to a church before and when the sermon was given, it was all about just being a good person and being nice and it just kind of made you feel all light and fluffy inside, right? Kind of like a whipped cream sermon. Then, if you've been to a, heard another type of sermon, and you're thinking in your mind, I wish that this sermon would stop. It's the kind that just hits you in the gut. It's like, okay, I don't know who this preacher is, but apparently he's been reading my mail. Somebody gave him the password to my email, somebody gave him the key to my house. He knows what I watch, he knows what I talk like. Who is this guy? He's not a preacher, he's in the CIA. And that's the Holy Spirit of God. Not, as we've talked before, stepping on toes. But it's just like the Holy Spirit reaches through all of our facade and grabs a hold the core of our heart and says, you need me. And that is a word from God with authority. But then do you remember how kind of our pride that, that I guess you could call it that boa constrictor of pride, tries to squeeze around that voice of our soul that says, I do need Him. That says, later, later, put it off. Not now. And slowly, slowly, the sermon goes on, but the pride snake begins to squeeze off the voice of repentance. When a word is given from God... It hits you like a ton of bricks. It hits you like a ton of bricks in the sense that it shows us that we need Him. Now, if you can go to church week after week after week, but never be astonished at simply the reading of the Bible. I'm not talking about my sermons or your Sunday school teacher's lessons. That is a serious problem. Do you know why? Because every single one of us is so far of being where we should, it's not even funny. Can we talk like that in church? Can any of us say, I'm there! Talking about arriving, I've not only arrived, I've set up camp, baby. The only thing I need you to do, Jeff, or the choir or my Sunday school class is tell me how absolutely awesome I am. And if a sermon or anything goes contrary to that... I sit back, I may not do it with my arms, I may not do it with my head. You ever seen the Baptist head move? (sighs) Right? Be careful, somebody behind you may be leaning forward and you're going to give them a reverse headbutt. That would not be good. And it's it's that old spirit of pride that says, God, I don't need you. But what happened to these people is when the word was given, they were astonished. Which means they were just absolutely, they couldn't describe how amazing it was. And I, some of you can remember, some of you can remember sermons that you heard when you were young. Some of you, back when you were young, maybe a little bit longer. Than some others, alright? We're not going to put a date on that. But you can remember when you had a person who came to your house or a preacher who stood up behind a pulpit or a Sunday school teacher who had enough love to simply tell you that you were a sinner. Not, well, we have sinned. No, you have sinned. And they pointed at you, they told you, they were honest and they loved you enough. To give the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit took that Word and with authority put it in your heart and changed you. Brought you to your knees in a sense. And then God ripped away that snake that was trying to squeeze off that voice of saying, God, I need you. And he said, God, I need you. Would you forgive me? And you got saved and you got baptized and you begin to serve Jesus. And here you are today because of the word of God. I praise Jesus that it wasn't something that he simply did. It's what the apostles did. And it's what people are doing even today, giving the word of God and not watering down. Can we say amen to that? that the Word of God is full of power. So, when it was given, there's always going to be a reaction, right? Like, you're never going to be able to serve God and everybody in a lost and sinful world is going to be like, oh, so you're a Christian and what you believe is telling me that if I don't turn from my sin and give my life to Christ, that I'm going to hell? We say in all humility, God died. God's Son died. Paid the debt for you so that you wouldn't have to, but yes, if you continue in your sin, that's what, that's what will happen. Not because I'm better than you, but because that's truth. There's not too many people out there in the world today that are like, yeah, baby, rock on, preach that, live that, put that on your bumper sticker. I love to be feel convicted. I love to, to come to church. I love to see you. Even when I see you, I know what you believe. And that makes me feel convicted. People don't like that. So, so I, I want to just kind of uh, annihilate here any, any, any idea that if you live for Christ, everybody's going to pat you on the back because the fact is that they're not. The fact is that Jesus said often, I mean time after time, if they hated me, they will hate you. All who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. When I really have to get alone with the Lord is when everything's cool. Right? Because when I'm preaching the Word of God, I like what Wesley said. He says, I want them to be converted or I want them to be angry. But if they are apathetic, then I've failed. So, say, Jeff, are you trying to make me angry? I want you to get you know, saved. If you're saved, go out and try to help other folks get saved. All right. So, notice what happens here. The, the man screams out in this demonic voice. And then Jesus rebukes him saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And verse 36 is pretty predictable. And they all were amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. You know the way that most people tried to deal with demons? And this time I read one commentary, and and this this is very bizarre to us, but they thought that the way that you exercised a demon out of a person is you got basically a root out of the ground that stunk really bad. I don't remember the name of the root. And you stuck it in the person's nose. That's what they thought. Other people thought that you learned incantations and and, and, uh, magic spells to cast out demons. Now, why did Jesus not want this demon to identify him? Well, Mark chapter 3, demons did the same thing. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down and said, you are the son of God. Jesus did not want to converse with demons. I want to encourage you, if you um, know of someone who, who has some type of demonic involvement or they've been involved in the occult and they say, I want you to come and talk to this demon about whatever, don't talk to demons. Say, but I've got the power of the Lord. You do. But let's follow Jesus. Jesus didn't sit down and have a theological conversation with the demon. You see now, Jeff, now, hold on. You, you're kind of, I know this is, this is, you know, the Halloween kind of year and, and whatnot, but I'm not really sure about demons. Let me give you several characteristics of demons, a quick survey of what they are. Demons are actually spirit beings, okay? Um, the, what the Bible says in the beginning, um, the angels sinned and they, they rebelled against God. And when that happened... Uh, Some of the angels, the ones who rebelled, were basically turned into uh, demonic spirits. Now, demons can be also localized, but they're not omnipresent, meaning that demons don't have the same knowledge that God does. God knows all, uh, everything that's happening, but demons don't have that level of knowledge. Um, They're intelligent, but they're not omniscient. Um, They're powerful, but they're not omnipotent. They're, They're not able to do anything. He said to Jeff, now what did demons do? Well, throughout the Bible, demons would influence people's minds. Um, they would deceive people into believing things that are not true. <clears throat> the Bible also says in Revelation chapter 16 that demons even deceive nations. Now, I want you to go with me on this thought because most of us, probably I would say the majority of us, are what we call children of the Enlightenment. Okay? See, so, Jeff, what in the world does that mean? It means that most of us have a pseudoscientific worldview in which we think that anything supernatural can't be true. That goes back to Isaac Newton who said that everything in the universe works like a clock. You guys remember that back from school? Okay, that's actually not the way that most scientists now have understood it to be. There's actually some fluctuation uh, in the universe. But most people today, when they hear things like demons and angels and supernatural stuff, they're like, I don't know. That just seems a little, a little far-fetched, a little old. Um, I'm not really sure that I, I believe that. <clears throat> there was a, um, was a man that I know uh, whose, whose father was a missionary in Brazil um, back before World War II. Imagine the United States and the infrastructure before World War II. Imagine Brazil. He, would, he had a, uh, a 28 Ford. He would load up with food, with gas cans, and go way, 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 way out into the jungle and in the fields and wherever he could find people. It was a huge farming region um, in this area of Brazil. And there were some people who didn't like the preaching of the gospel, and they actually hired an assassin who had a rifle who... Um, when this man came to the gate to go into the farm was going to just shoot him. You know, you could do that. Just shoot him and then and then just fade off into the woods. <clears throat> what happened when the man came to unlock the gate? He unlocked the gate. The missionary went through. No shot. What the assassin later said is that he was positioned to pull the trigger, but he said that there were men in white all surrounding. This missionary and the 28 Ford. What the man did, he left his gun, but he followed the missionary at a distance. And when they had everyone on the farm, a big collective farm there, not, not in the sense of communism, but everyone who worked there, they came and the missionary preached the gospel, and the assassin was saved. This story was told to me by a man who has a PhD in biology. Give you another quick one. Um, And we and if you if you have more questions on this, I would encourage you to go back to our Warrior series. Uh, We dealt with this in length um, in one of our messages, the supernatural. Let me give you another illustration. There's an evangelist that I know out of Texas. Normal guy, has degrees, has a family. He talked about a missionary family who was over in in the area of New Guinea back in the day. They were preaching the gospel, people were being saved. There were a group of men from the village who didn't like it and came and they surrounded the missionary's house and were going to go in with basic crude weapons and kill the missionary and his wife. But before they actually went in, they said there were men in all white, about seven foot tall, with swords, shining garments. I don't care where you're raised, that's not guys that you pick a fight with, right? Right? And they didn't go. And they later came and told the missionaries that I could give you story after story after story. People who have American earned MBAs. people we're we're not talking about the people in the paranormal, right? We're not talking about the Scooby Doo clan. We okay? We're not talking about weird people, we're talking about rational folks, and there are many things that happen in the world outside of the West, even in the West, that it's very difficult to explain scientifically. But there is a spiritual world, and one thing that I would encourage you not to do is to have anything to do with anything in the occult, anything having to do with demons. You say, now, Jeff, can't a Christian be demon-possessed? No. The Holy Spirit indwells us. But one thing that a Christian can do through foolishness or obedience is open themselves up to influence from the satanic realm by way of depression, by way of all sorts of things where the enemy will find a hole and become bored in and try to influence us not to follow Christ. So Jesus heals the man simply by His Word. And throughout the Bible, this is so intriguing, that in the beginning God spoke right the world into existence John 1:1 1, 1, Jesus was the word and the word became flesh the impossible word becoming flesh but that was Jesus whenever you see God speaking it's as if God being the creator of the whole universe God has the key to everything because he created it, it isn't the same way like a computer designer has the code he can manipulate he can do he can work a program because he's the designer when Jesus simply spoke the demon left Isn't that good news that simply the word of Jesus he didn't need to go and take a course on exorcisms he didn't need to go be taught he didn't use tricks he simply said the word and it happened you remember when the time when the disciples were there on the boat in the storm all Jesus did was what spoke and it happened I just want to let you know today, Christian, that you serve a God who is so powerful that if He simply speaks, it will happen. And I've got to be honest, this text that we're working through is somewhat difficult because I'm an American and probably most of us here today have been raised in the good old U.S. of A. And unless, you know, only unless the really quirky dudes are like, I've been talking and we don't know what, you know, like the really weird dude that's into like a cult and stuff and you're like, your neighbor's cat goes missing and he comes around the corner, right? <laughs> like, except, except for the crazy people, alright? We don't, we don't have a lot of de- involvement with the demonic. But man, let me tell you, there's a church leader in Haiti who told me that it is so filled. I'm just let you know, I went back in 02 and there is a spiritual, I'm, I'm not kidding, a spiritual darkness presence that you feel when you're there guaranteed scouts on our pinky swear. all right it was there this may not mean a lot to us but to them they've got witch doctors who try to cast spells upon people and they said this one haitian born and bred man claude told me he says that the witch doctors in haiti understand that their spells will not work against those who follow the god of the christians Can you imagine being there or being in a culture today such as India to where demons are rampant? In fact, in Hinduism, the Hindus believe that the demons actually live in the idols. And when they go worship and give gifts, that's actually trying to placate and keep the demon cool and satisfied so that it won't terrorize them and their families. Can you imagine being in a culture to where you're afraid to go drink out of this river because you may offend the spirits who live in the trees and the water and they may kill you or give a disease to you or your family? Can you imagine that? And then this teacher comes. His name is Jesus. And a man in the church service stands up and has a demonic manifestation and Jesus simply says, Get out. And the demon leaves and the man falls to the ground and is restored to his people. And then the story of the Gadarene demoniac where the man would run through the, run through the graves and cut himself. And they would chain him up and he would break through again. When Jesus cast the demons out, the Bible says he was restored to his right mind. And can you imagine coming to your right mind, realizing that you are stark naked. You are bleeding. You are cut. But you look up and you see Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross? It was Mary of Cleopas, Mary the mother of Jesus, John the apostle, and a lady named Mary Magdalene. Do you know what Mary Magdalene's story was? Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. And one thing that I gained from this text, and in verse 38, Jesus goes right into Simon's house, Simon Peter. And his mother is about to die. She's got a high fever. This is ancient way of saying it's really bad. She's probably going to die. And Jesus heals her. What does she do? She gets up in verse 39 and immediately begins to serve Jesus. I'll tell you what, when Jesus sets you free, when Jesus heals you, when Jesus forgives you of your sin, you want to serve Him, don't you? And then you see, that this is so amazing, in verse 40, then the whole town figures it out. And it says, and when the sun was setting, right, Jesus is, I mean, His day has been full. Wouldn't you say it's a full day? Preaching? Casting out a demon? Healing Peter's mother-in-law? Who was living with him? Some of you have always wondered, why is Peter so aggressive? Let me say again, his mother-in-law was living with him. Right. Peter's going crazy, jumping off boats, chopping off people's ears may have something to do with it. I'm not sure. This is a little note, too. Honestly, there are some people who tell us that Peter was the first pope. We ask, do popes marry? Not that we know of. Peter had a what? A mother in law. So he was married which I've been told by some married men that having a mother-in-law helps you understand the book of Revelation and the tribulation a little bit better. But I wouldn't know. So that's just what the married guys say. So ladies, beat them up, not me. And verse 40, all those who were sick and with various diseases were brought to Him and He laid... This is so amazing. Can you imagine yourself? You come to your right mind. You're thinking, I hope this demon doesn't manifest itself again. I'm already absolutely... uh, In the clutches of the enemy, I'm embarrassed. I'm separated. My family thinks I'm a freak. And then someone brings you. And then Jesus goes one by one. And notice it says, every one of them, He lays His hands on them and He healed them. Jesus is not only the God of the world, but He's the God who comes down to each person who will kneel and He will place His hands on them and He will give them the touch of the Master. And then notice, I love this, verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place, obviously to pray. And the people sought him. Hide and seek, where's Jesus? And then they came to him and would have kept him from leaving. Wow. And he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. May it be said of us that when Jesus comes and speaks to us, let us be like these people here in this town of Capernaum that say, I not only want to find Jesus, I want to seek after Him. Jesus, don't leave. But He says, I've got to go to other places and preach. But then you remember what He said at the end of the book of Matthew. He said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And that was in the context of people going into all the world and preaching the Gospel to every single person. So no matter what you bring to the table today, I want to encourage you from the Word of God that we serve a God who's simply the fact of Him speaking is authority. Some of you need the touch of the Master. Some of you need to be saved. Some of you you may be a Christian. You say, Jeff, I'm just down. I'm depressed. I feel like I've been crushed by the world just during this time of invitation, just say, Lord, would you please touch me and restore me?